Last week in our Gospel for the first Sunday of Lent, Jesus encounters Satan and he's tempted in the desert. Today, in something entirely different, Jesus is on the mountaintop and we hear the voice of the Father declaring his love for his Son. He's there with Moses and Elijah. And it's sort of a stark contrast going from the desert with Satan to the mountaintop with the Eternal Father and this grand transfiguration event. But I think, I think the contrast is important and I think the order is important. Why does the church give us this reading for the second Sunday of Lent as we begin this penitential uh, journey? And I think obviously the, the temptation in the desert to prepare us for a temptation, because that's going to happen. But I think it's, it's very appropriate that we have here the transfiguration for the second Sunday. Aristotle said the most important thing you can know about anything is its purpose. And so what's the purpose of human life? Well, you're, probably your grandparents and certainly your great-grandparents, if they were raised Catholic, uh, would be able to recite for you from the Baltimore Catechism the short answer that uh, the purpose of life is to know God, love him, and serve him in this life and be eternally happy with him in the next. And everyone would have memorized that at about seven years old. And I think it's a good answer. I think it's a beautiful answer. Um, But there's sort of two problems with it. The first problem is we can't actually see the goal of heaven. And secondly, how can we be confident in our own efforts to get there? How do we know we're going to make it? And I think this is where the transfiguration comes in because the hope that we will get there eventually is fueled by what? It's fueled by the faith that heaven is real and that God is going to help us on the way. It's faith in his fidelity towards us. And I think that's where the transfiguration comes in. And I think this, this became clear to me last night, actually, uh, as uh, we're having community movie night, and um, we're watching The Dark Knight, uh, starring Christian Bale and Heath Ledger. No, really. Um, and it's a great movie, and if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Um, but the, uh, spoiler alert here, uh, so you, you, basic plot is that, um, you know, you have uh, evil, which is represented by the Joker, darkness, uh, chaos, death. And you have two possible heroes in the Dark Knight. Uh, you have the White Knight, Harvey Dent, the district attorney, very idealistic, young, hardworking, courageous, going through the system, using the legal system that Gotham has to uh, shut down the mob. So you have the White Knight and you have the Dark Knight, who is Batman, who operates in the shadows as a vigilante. And through it all, though, there's this, there's this universal sense amongst the good that Gotham needs a savior, that it's, it's a city that is just always on the edge of destruction, and it needs a savior to pull it out. And so we have these two possibilities. And here's where the spoiler alert comes in. Um, so Dent, Harvey Dent, the district attorney, the white knight, is catastrophically injured by the Joker, who also kills his girlfriend at the same time, his fiance, and he listens to her die. And this twists his soul, 
And so he becomes, in a sense, worse than the Dark Knight. And what happens at the end is that essentially Harvey Dent is killed by Batman and Batman covers it up. He covers up not his killing of Harvey Dent, but he covers up all the bad things that Dent had done after he became twisted um, through tragedy and evil. And when this happens, he's talking to Commissioner Gordon, and here's the, he's the, here's the key line. He says, you know, he's going to take the blame on himself, on himself, and he says to Gordon, you'll hunt me, you'll condemn me, set the dogs on me, because that is what needs to happen. Because sometimes the truth isn't good enough. Sometimes people deserve more. Sometimes people deserve to have their faith rewarded. And that line was so striking both for its truthfulness and its falseness in terms of the gospel. I think the the falseness in terms of the gospel is the sense that faith is essentially a lie. It's a nice lie and we believe it because it makes life easier and makes us feel better about ourselves and all the garbage that's going on around us and the fact that we're all going to die. And so faith is the nice lie that we tell ourselves to uh, make the passage easier. And if we view faith in, in that sense, it, it's... In, yeah, it's comforting, but it's hard to see the real goodness of it. If, it. if it ultimately isn't true, you know, what's the good of it? But there's also something really true in, in Batman's instinct. Sometimes people deserve to have their faith rewarded. Sometimes they need to see at least a little bit beyond the curtain. They need to see and experience a little bit of the truth. And I think that is why the transfiguration is important. It's a little peek behind the curtain. And in seeing Jesus illuminated and seeing the glory come not on him from above, but out from him, from his person, he reveals that he contains heaven within himself, that he is the Lord of heaven. And also, like he says at the Last Supper in the Gospel of John, he is the way. And so we can get there because we see in him the destination and also the way way to that destination. And I think in some way it's, it's, it's meant to reinforce, it's meant to reward the faith of Peter, James, and John who, and to prepare them for the crucifixion that's coming, his own and then theirs. And so I think that's, that's the ultimate purpose of the transfiguration, to strengthen our own faith. To strengthen it, not with a nice lie, but to strengthen it with a little vision of the truth. So this should lead to, I think, a question from you. Well, that's great for Peter, James, and John. Where's my mountaintop? Where's my transfiguration? Why can't I meet the Lord like that? You know, that would really help sometimes. You know, I mean, one miracle, is that too much to ask? You know, one blaze of glory, one enemy smited. Come on, just a little something. And I think, actually, it's a good question to ask, where's my mountaintop? Because I think it's something that God actually gives regularly. You know, it's something that people talk about all the time. Now, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
However, God is a merciful God. And so in our weakness, sometimes he gives us the things that we need, but maybe we don't deserve. And so, you know, people talk about these experiences they have. They maybe go on a pilgrimage somewhere, you know, or they, um, they go on a retreat, you know, and these sort of intense moments when they really give themselves time to be with the Lord, he shows up and they experience something really profound and different and deep. And I think that's what, what God did for Peter, James, and John in the transfiguration. He's trying to do in those moments when we give him that opportunity, trying to really reinforce that faith. That's why, that's why he can give those profound moments of consolation in prayer, to strengthen us, to show us he's real. But I think there are a couple of cautionary points that we need to make here. And I think the, the first point to recognize about a mountaintop experience is that it's on the mountaintop. And climbing a mountain's a lot of work. I don't know if you've done it, but let me tell you, it ain't easy. So you have to be prepared to, if you want a mountaintop experience, a hammock in the pine grove might not be the place where you're going to get it. You know, it might be a place where you can enjoy, certainly you can enjoy God's presence out there. But it doesn't take a lot of work and effort, you know, and big push to, to enjoy a beautiful day in the pine grove. You know, so maybe that's not the place for the mountaintop experience. Maybe that's a place for a daily kind of re-encounter with the Lord. So you may have to work for a mountaintop experience. Secondly, mountaintops don't prevent valleys. In fact, mountaintops tend to lead right into the valleys, just geographically. You know, you reach the top and then there's nowhere to go but down. Um, and some, sometimes, you know, we think we hit the mountaintop and there's going to be a ridge all the way down. That's, that's, not, that's not generally how it goes. So the mountaintops lead to the valleys and prepare us for them. And this is what actually happens in, in the gospel. So in Matthew, this is Matthew 17, in, in Matthew 21, um, Jesus enters Jerusalem for the Passion. In Mark, it's even more abbreviated. Mark 9 is the transfiguration, and Mark 11 is the entrance into Jerusalem. And we don't know exactly the timeline, but it's not long. You know, Jesus is already well into his ministry. And so Jesus gives them the mountaintop because the valley is coming. So St. Paul says, bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. And I think the strength that Jesus in today's gospel what he's pointing to is the strength that comes from seeing his glory for the apostles. A third point is mountaintops don't guarantee growth. I'll just recount a short story. I remember um, in my last assignment when I was at Fenwick High School, I was living at uh, Priory uh, near the school, and one night I was having uh, dinner, and it was sort of later on in the dinner, some of the other people had left the table, and it was just me and one of the uh, much more senior friars, um, and who had spent many decades uh, in the vineyard. And we were talking about prayer, and one of the things that uh, this old priest said to me, he said, Nicholas, you know, I've, I've had some amazing experiences in prayer in my life. And 
I'm kind of ashamed to admit that and to see where I am now. In other words, the sense of getting a, a peek behind the glory and yet not running as fast and as far as he could have. This, this sense of possibility, but this also sense of unfulfillment. And it was, it was a very touching moment, a very, I think, humble and honest moment and, uh, that I'd never forgotten. But a great lesson about what the mountaintops can and can't do. And I think the last point to say is mountaintops are beautiful, but they are not the places where we tend to grow. Mountaintops tend to be barren. Very few trees on the mountaintop, if any. Mountaintops are not the places that we grow. We tend to grow in the valleys. It's not the place we like to be, but it's the place where it happens. I remember last year, so in, in a week we have spring break, and uh, some people are uh, from Hope are going to St. Meinrad's uh, Arch Abbey in southern Indiana. And I remember, actually, a homily that was given last year on our trip uh, by uh, Father Thomas, one of the monks at the monastery. And he said, people come to the monastery and they have these mountaintop experiences. Which is fitting because it's literally on the top of a hill. You know, they come to the monastery and they have these mountaintop experiences. But he said, I think our guests would be edified to know that some of the monks who live here on the mountaintop aren't having a mountaintop experience. That they are experiencing the darkness and the silence of God. And they are persevering in prayer. I thought it was such a beautiful and, and striking image that this place, which is, is so often people have these mountaintop experiences there, is for the people who live there, who pursue God in that place, who stay there and commit to staying there for their whole lives, that what God leads them to is the valley and that that is where they grow and that is where their charity is really deepened and when they learn to love God for his sake alone. So that brings us back to the transfiguration and to the mountaintop with Jesus and the apostles. And it's a tremendous miracle meant to bolster their faith and ours. But if there's one takeaway from the experience, I think it's the takeaway that Jesus gives to the apostles as they're coming off the mountain. Rise and do not be afraid. <laughs> 